HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. In light of the novel coronavirus pandemic, Food Without Borders is airing At the Table, a special interview series with journalists, chefs, farmers, activists, and business owners navigating the impact of COVID-19 on the food and beverage industry. This series was originally recorded for MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. If you'd like to watch the online video version of these interviews, please visit www.mofad.org backslash online video series. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, everyone. This is Sari Kamen with MOFAD. I'm the Public Programs Manager. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of At the Table, which is our online video series uh, talking about the impact of COVID-19 on the restaurant industry. Um, So today I am so happy to be with Max Katzenberg and Greg Backstrom. You know them probably from their restaurants Olmsted and Maison Yaki, two of my favorite places, um, both of them in Brooklyn. So hey guys, thank you for joining me today from your respective couches. (laughs) Thanks for having us. 
bed actually, but yeah. Your bed. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Bed. Wow. Cozy. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever works for you. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, so you guys have, you know, your your chefs restaurant tours, um, but you have kind of developed into more of that, I would say, um, since this whole crisis has broken out. You're both, I would think of you now as both kind of like activists and advocates, advocates for the restaurant industry in addition to your, you know, positions as chef and restaurant owners. Um, so could you maybe kind of take me through a timeline of like what life has been like for you, like what your experience as restaurant tours has been like starting with um, that very quick progression of, you know, okay, restaurants are open, restaurants are kind of operating at 50%, restaurants are no longer open, all that seemed to just happen in like a blink of an eye. So can you kind of yeah. like talk me through what that experience was like on your end? Well, I mean, I guess we're like two weeks into this now. So uh, two like weeks ago, year. say it again? I said, what, but what feels like a year? Yeah, exactly. I mean, two, two weeks ago, we were forced to lay everyone off. I mean, there's, you know, we're not sitting on a money pit that we could float for a while. And the idea that, you know, going delivery would sort of hold us over for a few weeks while we got through Corona, it's just not really true. It, you know, maybe we would make 10 or 20% of our, our revenue, which means we can maybe retain 10 or 20% of our staff. But then you're still outweighing, you know, that with just the severity of uh, of COVID nineteen. Like it's it people are being told to stay home because it's dangerous. Yeah. So saving five, like bringing back five jobs, although is 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 great for financial reasons, uh, you're still putting people in harm's way. Uh, and so it's not it's not a lifeline to maintain, you know, the restaurant by any means. Mm-hmm. How about you, Max? I mean, with every fiber of your being, you're fighting having your restaurant close like during normal times, right? Like that's that's at the core of what being a restaurateur or a small business owner is about. So, uh, you know, that Friday through the Tuesday where we actually decided to close entirely, I mean, that was the hardest time of my career. Um, you know, the, the restaurant industry is so familial and your coworkers, they really used to become part of your extended family and having to lay everybody off was extraordinarily difficult. And, uh, and once we really did that and took our soul, took our eye from our sole focus being pivoting Olmstead and figuring out what we're going to do to taking a beat and saying, what is actually happening here? Yeah. That was really when we were compelled to to act. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that seemed like it also happened really, really quickly. I mean, you guys were were so responsive um, without, it seemed like, you know, without taking too much time to even consider, you know, what your next move would be. How, were, how, how did you come up with the idea um, to create New York Hospitality Coalition and how were you able to just get it off the ground and organize so quickly? So we, the mandate came in from the state on that Sunday night. Uh, we closed, we were going to maybe think about doing delivery and takeout. Tuesday, we decided not to. Um, and Wednesday morning, I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, we have 
sales tax due on Friday and payroll tax, uh, not payroll tax and payroll, right? And and no cash flow. Um, you know, I had been thinking about that since the weekend and making plans for Olmstead, but the enormity of of what that really meant for the industry at large started to sink in for for me and for Greg. And what we anticipated was some really, really ugly carnage if that was made to happen. I mean, businesses pay, restaurants pay their bills from 45 days ago with the revenue that they earn today. Um, so the fact, so the, so the idea that with five days of zero cash flow, they could make their payroll, their bill, their checks that they had out to vendors would clear and they can make their sales tax. Some of, for some people it's quarterly, so it's a huge amount. Um, it just wasn't, we didn't feel like it was gonna happen. It really compelled us to get organized and act and start start bringing you know, our friends together to, to, to motivate the government to change their mind because they were saying all week that they're not gonna, you know, they weren't gonna change their mind. Even as late as Thursday, four o'clock, they weren't gonna do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Friday at 11 in the morning they did. So, I mean, it was an enormous amount of people that were involved in, in, in helping lobby to lobby them to change their mind. But what we realized is that it really was going to snowball and there was a, a vacuum of organization or of a message or, and, and, and more than anything, we realized that how vulnerable our operators are. It's not just a sales tax issue. You know, every day the gravity of this thing has gotten more and more serious the closure looks like it's going to be longer and longer. And, uh, you know, most restaurant operators, they don't have an MBA. You know, I don't have an MBA. But to fill out some of these loan applications to get some of these benefits that are going to be offered, you almost need an MBA. You know, so, so we're looking at the coalition as, as more of a resource now, more, as a, more of a service um, to, to help get as many of these businesses back on their feet as possible with, with streamlined and digestible information. Um, and then when needed, when we need to give a politician a kick in the butt or really make our voice heard, we'll be organized and have the infrastructure to do so uh, in, a, in a major way. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to go through kind of like the particular goals as far as like, you know, all the different kind of services you're offering, because um, it seems both, you know, industry focused and in terms of like supporting the people in the industry, but also advocacy in terms of um, appealing to policymakers, and those feel like two different things. Um, but yeah. I, I also I mean, the number to- one overarching goal of the Hospitality Coalition is to have as many of the Hey, Max, I just lost you. Yeah. Can you hear me? Can, I can't hear you anymore. Um, so, Max, I kind of want to go through the different goals that you have, because um, it does feel like there's sort of two different things that are happening. There's, you know, resources that are being provided to support restaurant workers, and then there's also advocacy um, and different policy that you guys are working on and targeting. And those sort of feel like two different things, but what is, what would you say is like the overarching goal of, of the coalition? The main goal is to 
bring back as many of the 865,000 New York State hospitality jobs that we had when we were forced to close uh, when we reopen, when we're allowed to reopen. We want to preserve as many of those jobs as possible. So that means making sure that our workforce stays in our sector with disaster relief and personal benefits and uh, and making sure that they have access to that, right? So holding politicians accountable to make sure that they get those benefits and then also helping them get them. And it's the same for the operators, making sure that the operators have the resources to get this disaster relief and also uh, lobbying politicians to give them enough benefit to be able to get back on their feet. I mean, the idea that this is a bailout for the hospitality sector is just so far from from the reality this is a natural disaster and there can be no assumption that businesses should just be able to suck it up tough it out and then reopen you know if that's even one per, every step we take in that direction is going to be personal turmoil for people who have poured their entire lives into their businesses by forcing them to close thousands of people not being able to work and you know a step towards a depression on the other end of this rather than a recession. Why is that an assumption? Or why does it seem like, you know, it was an assumption until, you know, you and other people had to um, create coalitions to tell the government that this was absolutely not the case? Like, why are hospitality workers not valued in the same way as corporations? I don't think they really understood the gravity, like the, the amount of people that that small business and hospitality in general employ and how it affects, you know, the food chain. I mean, it's not just, okay, we have our farmers and our butchers and our suppliers. I mean, our two little restaurants have uh, 125, uh, you know, purveyors from right. wine to, yeah. to food, right? So it's all, of, it's all of them, but it's not even just that. Our 60 employees that we were forced to lay off, uh, they're not going to the organic juice place next to Olmstead before they start their shift. They're going to get uh, a coffee across the street at the coffee shop. I mean, down to the massage parlor and the nail salon and after shift drinks at the bar at Soda Bar. Like it, uh, Vanderbilt is a ghost town right now. It, it affected everyone. Yeah. Yeah. The other part of that is independent hospitality operators are not organized they've never been organized and they don't have any representation at all in washington or even in new york state government and local government uh the re the restaurant representation is of the chains and the reason for that there's a, there are a lot of reasons but the core reason is because restaurants and bars they don't make enough profit to afford lobbyists you know that chains do mcdonald's they can afford it they're making billions of dollars uh but between the lack of resources and the lack of time honestly i mean a restaurant if you own it it takes 50 60 70 80 hours a week to run um you know who has time to like get involved in washington politics uh, now we have the time now we all are forced yeah. to have the time and we still don't have necessarily the mega resources, but our partners who also rely on us, who do have higher margins on that supply chain are coming into the equation. And, you know, we're laying down uh, infrastructure 
you know, every minute, minute by minute, you know, to try to make sure that we're, we're, we're represented. Uh, it's very difficult. Yeah. And to your point about, you know, needing an MBA to, to work through some of these loans, um, I was looking through the Instagram account you guys started and, you know, some of this is really difficult stuff to unpack just as far as like deciphering, you know, all the different policy. How, yeah. how are you, how are you navigating this? Because now you've become like an interpreter and a resource for so many people who don't understand how to apply for unemployment and how the stimulus bill impacts them. And then like, you know, what are the, what are the steps to even get their, get their benefits and, and when is it going to happen? Speak from experience and re rely on your experts, right? You know. So, so who do you have right now that's working with you? Do you have lawyers? We have coalitions in eight, nine, ten, eleven other cities. We speak on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, honestly, through Slack. But we have a daily call. Um, you know, we have a coalition council who's come on board. Helbron, Levy, they're fantastic, and. We also have, you know, many other accountants, HR representatives, other law firms. Um, the thing is, it's all unraveling so quickly mm -hmm. that you could get an email from three different, very, very highly regarded accountants, all with different interpretation of what this bill means. Mm. Uh, so that's why we're taking our time a little bit, you know. We are really going to make sure that whatever information we disseminate is very, very accurate. Um, and, you know, the administration piece of this bill or this law now, the administration of it is going to add further wrinkles, right? We're going to come to an understanding of what this bill says, and then it's going to change when they actually start administering the funds. So... You know, we're watching very closely. We're on the front line, you know, with the applications. We do it ourselves. I do everything myself. And then I just say, this is, you know, you don't have to, you need to eventually read all of that. But here are the things that are really going to get you prepared to make this as painless of a process as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there just has to be some acceptance that the system is going to be overwhelmed, right? With the unemployment, I think 45% of hospitality people haven't been able to register for unemployment. It's been two weeks, but it's going to come. You know, there has to be just a little bit of, a little bit of patience through this and a little bit of trust, uh, you know, that we're going to get there. And, and, you know, when we feel like that trust isn't being earned, we need to call, call those out, uh, uh, you know, who are, who need, who need to be called out. Yeah. Um, I mean, you said it's, you know, you're kind of taking your time, but at the same time, you know, watching, watching you guys organize is, is really impressive because it feels like it's happening rapidly. So how are you yeah. able to identify, you know, your coalition so quickly or like, you know, the helpers in different cities and come together? Um, I mean, we just don't feel like there's any representative representation of really small businesses of Greg and my size. We just, we just don't, or organization. And and we want that we you know it is not in anybody's interest to have any of these businesses close right uh and if there's something that we can do about it rather than just watch msnbc and play video games for the next 12 weeks um you know we want to we want to help with that and yeah. if that means uh, you know uh yeah whatever that means whatever that means yeah 
Um, so I guess starting with um, getting the New York straight, state tax delayed or deferred, like, can you talk about the specific kind of like policy asks that you're working towards and like what, what has happened so far and, and what do you have that you're, you're, you're working towards? Well, within New York state, there's a bill being debated in the state Senate right now that would abate rent for residents, commer uh, commercial businesses, small businesses under a hundred employees and affected. And it would also abate the mortgages for affected landlords. Um, you know, so we are heavily supporting that and, and hoping that we can um, bring a broad collective pressure that the assembly and the Senate pass that. Um, there are some potential constitution, constitutional issues with that bill, but so what? <laughs> just, get it, just get it in. We'll deal with it later. Um, at a national level, with regards to the small business forgive uh, the small business forgivable loans that were passed in CARES, at the very last minute, the definition of a small business was basically deleted, mm -hmm. and and what happened is now McDonald's gets to share in that pot, and the pot was shrunk about in half or less than half even, uh, so those benefits that started out really fantastic and looked like that that may honestly do it the more we look into that bill the more problems we're discovering um if you take those forgivable loans you basically lose some very important tax deductions that you automatically get as a business so there's some offset there um so there's just a lot of work to do at the administration level of that bill because certain things can be improved but also in the fourth bill that they're already that they just started talking about today, Speaker Pelosi, they're going to start drafting another bill. You know, there are some very, very important improvements that need to be made there. The last piece is business interruption insurance. Um, you know, all of our insurance carriers have abandoned us. We all have insurance for our business interruption, and every single carrier is saying that this is not a covered event. Um, and they're doing that because they can't afford it. If they had to pay every claim, they would go belly up. So. Uh, you know, there are some very coordinated national actions um, angled at forcing the insurance companies to come hand in hand with the small business interest to Congress and say, these have to be paid. We cannot afford to pay them. You need to reimburse us. Insurance companies pay us. The government pays the bails out the insurance companies. That would make a huge, huge, huge difference. If we could get, you know, a significant increase from the CARES package, if we could get that business interruption insurance and we can get our rent taken care of, uh, you know, now we're, now we're really talking. You can't just sit back and say, take loans, take loans, take loans. You know, large, highly profitable businesses can do that, you know, relatively large, you know, large small business. Um, but like mom and pop's restaurants, why are they going to saddle themselves with a lifetime of debt just to reopen? It doesn't make sense. So many people, we can't put our people in that uh, position. If we do, it's going to be a horrible economic end result. Um, so, you know, it, it says on the New York Hospitality Coalition website that you guys are not just um, operating in a time of crisis, you're, you're here to stay. So what kind of um, long-term kind of sustainable changes are you, are you thinking need to happen and, and what are you looking towards? Um, what's what's the, the goals of the future, I guess? 
Well, like Max said earlier, we're trying to, you know, at least take advantage of this terrible situation and bring everyone together. Mm -hmm. Like the goal, uh, you know, once we're past this would be to help those, those mom and pop restaurants, like the, the Indian restaurant next to Olmstead, like how are they going to make it through this? They don't, do they know really the extent of what's going on in Congress? Do they know how to go through their insurance policies and their lease? Uh, so that's that we want to become a tool, a resource for, for our community, for New York. And just as quickly as we started, uh, like Max said, there's, there's Chicago, there's LA, San Francisco, Philly, DC. I mean, uh, that would be an amazing network for all, if we were able to keep this to, you know, keep keep uh, progressing the change uh yeah. you know the the things that were already wrong with our industry uh before this you know maybe this is an opportunity to sort of fix some of those things right how yeah, are you we we kind of behave as like you know a more of a military alliance right where like everyone is just so busy and you have your personal friends in the industry but there's not a whole ton of cooperation uh, or communication amongst operators. So, so the idea that we can really have uh, just communication, you know, just some cohesive communication, we're all going through policy changes or proposed policy changes at the same time in the same way, but you really only talk about it with your friends. And like, if it's a huge issue, then maybe you'll read like an op-ed and a piece but but we've never really been organized to the point that that we can pool all of our resources and use them effectively to make sure that we're contributing to those policy changes, not just reacting to them. Yeah. So I mean that applies to so 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 many things for for restaurants. But that you know that would be the post crisis goal. You know is to have these relationships established not only with each other, um, you know, but in government that that we can truly uh, not only make our voices heard, but, but affect policy in a way that's going to be not just best for us, but best, best for our workforce and best for our community. Yeah. Representation. Um, how are you guys going to, what's going to be different once you, what, once you reopen, like as operators, what, what, ha what changes are going to come first? Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to say, really. I mean, Olmstead yeah. could open up as a sandwich shop, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, having some austere, uh, chef-y thing, the tasting menu, uh, you know, it'll have to be, not that that's what Olmstead was, but uh, if I was considering opening up the fine dining restaurant soon, that's definitely on the back burner now, Ken. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but we'll just, uh, I mean... Olmstead has always tried to give what we thought people wanted, and we're just going to have to double down on that. And with Maison Yaki, uh, it could be the same thing. Maybe it's a more casual French place uh, with steak frites and and uh, uh, so and just like sort of things that are very very familiar and you know larger portions, and and not try to challenge anyone. And then you know slowly as it you know let it evolve. Uh, I think that. Our, at least for, in our community and our, our customers, uh, you know, they they like us for who we are, sort of, from for who we are on the inside. And, yeah. and so I think that, uh, you know, it will just be an evolution that it will it will probably take years, though, to, to, to get it to where 
we're dictating what it's going to be though. Mm -hmm. um, what are both of you doing for, for yourselves right now? You're, I mean, you're out there, you're working so hard, but like, I mean, just as far as like mental health and, and self-care. We're starting a food bank. Uh, we started it. And so that's been really, really mentally health, healthy for me. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're still trying to, we've done it for three days now. Uh, it was successful. We need to get the word out so that way we can help more people. Like we have the ability to feed more people than are coming. Um, we also hooked up with Billy over at hometown barbecue and the guys at, uh, uh, Penn Devin young, uh, this huge bakery. And so they're going to start supplying fresh bread and smoked barbecue to us. And then we're going to make sides and, and prepare foods and stuff like that. So it's going to get better and better. Um, and you know, we're, try we're doing everything we can to keep the volunteers and the staff safe. Uh, yeah. We're only do, keeping six people at a time in the business just for everyone's safety. Mm -hmm. uh, and no one else is allowed in the building. But uh, for me, that's been like a really nice thing to, to, to focus on. And that's part of the Lee initiative? Yeah. So I, I, Eduardo Jordan is a, a, an old friend of mine from For Say Days. And he posted on his Instagram that he was launching this, this uh uh, food bank and so i immediately just called him and said what do i got to do to to be able to do that too and so he hooked us up with ed lee and the lee initiative and what it was like literally from the phone call of eduardo to the phone call with ed it was like three hours later we were yeah. we're doing a food bank sorry who are you feeding anyone i mean we're not going to turn anyone away it's it's yeah. it's meant for you know, unemployed and furloughed uh, hospitality yeah, workers, but I mean, it's there if you need it. Every day? Yeah. I mean, right now we're good. That's the thing that we're still trying to figure out. Like Max said earlier, you know, the ground keeps moving. Yeah. You know, is it, is it safer to, uh, you know, is it better to be a constant and be seven days a week at the same time so everyone knows and it's just there until we're through this? Or is it better to do it two or three days a week, but give away bigger packages so that way people travel less? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Yesterday it was closed, but I went just to see if anyone was knocking, and I fed 50 people out on my own. So it's we're st we have to just, you know, it's uh, trying to help as many people as we can with, you know, keeping them and us safe. Yeah. And I mean, I, I understand that that's, that's helpful for you, you know, just to feel like you're contributing and doing things. But I mean, is there, is there anxiety behind like the actual physical risks of showing up? I mean, they say 80% of us are going to get it anyway. So it's like, at least help some people before I get it. You know, yeah, plus I have my, I have, I have my dog running around in the garden out back destroying it, which is like entertaining. So that's also some relief for me. Okay. How about you, Max? Self-care. Keeping myself so busy, I don't have to think about the virus. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. That's you know, well, we're expecting our uh, our first child here in eight weeks. Oh, my so, God. Congratulations. Uh, that's, that's on our minds in a big way, too. And just taking it one day at a time. Just take it one day at a time. You know, whatever's meant to be is going to be what happens and uh and yeah you know try not to get lost too much in the enormity of it all you know just keep it 
keep it right in front of you. Mm-hmm. So first child, so there's going to be another one. So what can we out there watching you guys do to, to be supportive? How can we help? Sign up for the New York Hospitality Coalition. You know, and, uh, yeah. What are you get the word out? Well, get the word out about the food bank. Yeah. About the food bank, yeah. you know, it's uh, they're they're unrelated, but they're not. You know, they're 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 sort of two. You know, uh, Max and I are sort of attacking it at two different angles and trying to do everything that we can. You know, use our expertise and and uh, and our networks to to do whatever we can. Mm-hmm. And so everything from getting informed is going to make us get. You know, the more informed we are, uh, the stronger we are. So signing up for the coalition and just you know if you hear about the food bank uh even to your your most prideful friends and and, and co-workers just get the word out it doesn't matter just yeah. there's there's food there's no one there's no no one's chit-chatting you know just come and take it and uh you know it, it's therapy needed okay so that's uh new york hospitality coalition.com yes okay um, and any last sort of like words to other chefs or, or operators who are just struggling right now and not really sure, you know, what the next move is? I mean, just stay safe. I mean, yeah. Hang in there. It's going to come yeah. back. You know, yeah. we're going to be back guns blazing. You know, it's not going to be in two weeks from now. It's going to be a long road here, uh, but we'll be back and we're going to come back together. Yeah. And stay healthy in the meantime. Yeah, thank you so much. I know I can't wait to be back eating in the backyard of Olmstead. <laughs> I was just going to change the whole menu like in two weeks too. And then we had to close yeah. the restaurant. I was going to get rid of the carrot crepe. Now it's not even going to be that dramatic when we over-reopen because no one's going to want the carrot crepe anyway. <laughs> I've, I've had the carrot crepe. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> all right thanks you guys stay safe bye okay bye sarah bye thank you this program is powered by simplecast thanks for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content subscribe to our newsletter Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.